Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 12th of December, and this is Govind Rajethi Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. A quick reminder: you can join this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, among other streaming platforms, at 6 a.m. weekdays in Chennai and Hyderabad, 8:30 a.m. in Singapore, and 7:30 p.m. in New York the previous evening. Our top stories and themes for the day: the Sensex hits 70,000 as markets now pause for breath. Oil continues to trade weak as demand signals stutter. The government's move to ban use of sugarcane juice for ethanol could add a month's additional sugar stock. India's alcohol market is growing and Coca-Cola finds a way in. India's travel and tourism sector to grow a healthy 12% says rating agency Crisel. And Australia starts to cut back on record high migration. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. The Sensex clears 70,000. India's benchmark stock indices, the Nifty and the Sensex scaled newer heights on Friday. The BSE Sensex scaled a high of 70,058, which was obviously a new high, and finally closed higher at 69,929, still up 103 points. The Nifty 50 also cleared 21,000 again. and settled however lower at 20997 so the markets are clearly looking at the us consumer price inflation data and the federal reserve's rate decision both which are due later in the week which could influence the near term interest rate outlook and market direction meanwhile the excitement continued in the oil markets and when i say excitement i mean the point at which most people don't know whether it is supply or demand forces that are winning which could also be an economist dream or nightmare so coming up now our energy segment supported by the india energy week oil slipped further after concerns that supplies were overtaking demand and triggering the longest weekly losing streak in 5 years brent futures the global benchmark traded below 76 dollars a barrel after falling for 7 weeks in a row as the markets did not respond to the latest announcement of production cuts by the organization of petroleum exporting countries plus alliance reported bloomberg with the frantic signaling from the opec countries on supply cuts not really having an impact what is the near to medium term outlook for oil at least at this point as we go in to a winter season i reached out to victor katona lead crude analyst at vienna headquartered energy research firm kepler and i began by asking him what demand factors were presently driving prices and where it could go in coming months There's a huge plethora of demand concerns as we speak. First of all, US. The idea that we might have a soft landing seems to be increasingly farther out in 2024. And it's pretty much a 50-50 split right now between a hard and a soft landing because the economy is just not slowing down in the way that everyone expected to be, which is very much long-term oil demand getting impacted. So the US is a big factor. Any macroeconomic data out of the US recently has been mostly to the downside of for oil prices. China another huge topic for oil prices in general when you look into actual physical demand and how much China has been buying because China it's oddly seasonal in the sense that November December always winds down when the import quotas start to wane and we're very much in that period when Chinese buying is dissipating 
in front of our very eyes, and the new import quotas have not yet been published. So it's that odd interim period where there's a very little bullish momentum coming from China, even though there's still oil demand growth overall. And even though you have some bright spots, I mean, India is very much is the bright spot in the Asian oil markets right now because India has come back from refinery maintenance very strong. It's refining as much as it can, but India cannot save the entire continent or for that matter, the entire sort of global demand picture alone. Europe is stagnating, the US is stagnating, and the biggest growth of engine or engine of growth in, in Asia, specifically China, seems to be in limbo. And we're very much feeling that in terms of the oil prices, there's not much of a bullish factor that could lift prices right now. Right. And we've, of course, seen both Saudi Arabia and Russia constantly talk about production cuts and extending those production cuts and so on. So could one say that, therefore, all these threats of supply cuts and the implementation of them potentially are not having an impact on prices, at least at this point? I would even say that the market expected more from OPEC plus than it actually got. Because there was a lot of anticipation that OPEC plus, and especially the heavyweights of OPEC plus Saudi Arabia and Russia, would be able to persuade other members to cut as well. And even though there were voluntary production cuts, the real problem with those voluntary production cuts, let's say from the United Arab Emirates or Kuwait or Iraq, is that there's not much trust that they would actually happen. Because there's one country that has certifiedly cut production in 2023. That's Saudi Arabia. Every other country is trying to in a way, piggyback on Saudi Arabia's 1 million barrel per day production cut. And the overall expectation is that the same will happen in 2024. So there has been an agreement to cut production, but effectively, who will cut that production? That seems to be the big dilemma because no one really wants to you know, cut off bits and pieces of their own revenue. Everyone depends on the old revenue in the Middle East as things stand. So I think OPEC Plus has lost a huge amount of trust in the sense that Saudi Arabia still garners that trust, but everyone else doesn't really. And it feels like a market manipulation, and specifically a manipulation to lift prices higher without any huge physical impact on the markets, i.e. there's not much of oil being cut in the physical terms. Right. And as we head to the end of the year and into holiday season, what's your sense? I mean, the forces that we've talked about, both demand and supply, and where could prices land up, at least in the short to medium term? I think the decline in oil prices is overdone. Rent shouldn't be at 76. It should be roughly around 80 because that's the reasonable level right now. At the same time, I think this range of 75 to 80 will be the next normal range in the first half of 2024. The first half of 2024, many new refineries coming into the picture. Dukum in Amman, Dangote in Nigeria, even India will have new petrochemical complexes. All of this will depress margins, which have been exceptionally good. And one could argue that one layer of strength in the oil markets really has been coming from very good refinery margins and very good product cracks. And these will come under pressure in 2024. As a consequence, I think we should get used to the fact that 7580 is the new normal. Not necessarily happening right now as we speak, but especially as we hit the spring months, the combination of weak U.S. macro, refinery maintenance across the globe, and no real bullish upside story from OPEC+. Plus. For me, that's bearish. Right. Victor, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. The Core Report Energy segment was supported by India Energy Week that starts February 6th next year in Goa. Log on to www.indiaenergyweek.com for more details. A month's worth of sugar. 
The government's move to curtail use of sugarcane juice to produce ethanol, a lucrative endeavor in general, could lead to roughly a month's additional supply of sugar. A note from rating agency Crystal put out yesterday said that production of sugarcane and sugar is projected to decline 9% and 3%. That's a 9% decline in sugarcane and a 3% decline in sugar, thanks to lower rainfall in the key sugarcane-producing states of Maharashtra and Karnataka. As of September, say the Crystal reports, closing inventories of sugar were adequate to meet just two months' consumption as against four months, at least as seen in the previous five years. For a country with a sweet tooth, that does sound worrying. India consumes close to 30 million tons of sugar every year and ethanol is used for blending with petrol and a stated government objective as well, which is the blending. Now, the question of course is, what does the government's move to curtail production of ethanol do to sugar and sugar prices? To understand this in the context of the industry at large, I reached out to Rahil Sheikh of Meyer Commodities, a sugar trading company and now manufacturing as well. And I began by asking him what the government's move would do to sugar supply and prices. The government have taken a very hard decision. Ethanol was treated as a lifeline to the sugar industry. I mean, we were considering ourselves as a Brazilian model. We are technically a Brazilian model today. So we produce sugar enough for our domestic consumption and we divert the surplus into the ethanol program. We have actually achieved a Brazilian model much better than a Brazilian model. So I would say that we are effectively in a very good game plan as far as the government is concerned. The government have taken this hard decision, I think, because they feel that because of the 23-24 drought year and another 24-25, the sugar cycle will have two years of drought rather than one year of it's an 18-month crop, at least it's a 14-month crop. So I think they have taken a decision with more 24-25 in mind. And what this objective is going to do is it's going to bring back about 1.7 million tons of sugar back into the system for the government. So the trade was estimating that India will produce around 29.5 million tons. And there would be about 4 million tons of diversion. So we as a trade were estimating that we will have about 23 million tons of sucrose production minus 4 million tons. So we'll have about 29 million tons, which is enough to take care of our consumption for this year. But if suppose next year we are going to produce, say, 27 million tons, so say we produce 27 million tons, and we still divert 4 million tons or 5 million tons, then we technically get into a deficit zone in 24-25. So more or less to achieve that objective to ensure that the domestic supply is available, the government have disallowed the sugarcane juice base ethanol to be produced and this objective for the 23-24 will bring in about 1.7 million ton of sugar back in. And what was this doing to the prices, Rahil? As in, I know prices have been very high globally, not just in India, but can you tell us this has helped or likely to help? As far as the 23-24 balance sheet is concerned, our opening stock is about 5.7 million ton of sugar. Our production now with this new will come in about 29.5 million ton. Our consumption will be about 29 million tons. So technically we'll be adding half a million tons to our balance sheet. So prices, as far as prices are concerned, it will actually technically replicate the last year program. So I think it will remain anywhere between 35 rupees to 38 rupees in the range during season and off season. So as the supply has increased, there will be no runaway prices on the Indian front. 
on the world market front you have seen that world market has collapsed by about 125 dollars but more or less in world market we are spectators so neither export is permitted so we are watching the world market and indian market has no hedging mechanism so we are more or less a fixed price supplier depending on the government policies got it and we are facing all of this because obviously we've had a problem with crops and crop output what's the sense right now and as we look ahead crushing season has begun so what's changed in this season and what is the lasting impact likely to be when i say lasting i mean for the rest of the season agricultural yield in maharashtra and karnataka are down sharply they are down by about 20% but that's budgeted already inside the snd which i've advised you in up probably we'll see a better yield and recovery so up may gain a bit the southern the peninsular india may probably will have will face a problem so maharashtra karnataka and tamil nadu may face a problem but up is going to contribute little bit more so i think the problem which we are seeing is because of the rain the agricultural recovery is hardly very badly hit in the state of maharashtra and karnataka right what you're saying is that with that additional 1.75 million tons that we've sort of pulled back into sugarcane which becomes sugar which we will all consume we should be stable as far as prices go and going one step back as far as supply goes for the next few months so technically that's exactly what government did is basically brought back sugar from ethanol back to sugar probably 1.7 million or 1.8 billion whatever the range comes it it's technically as good as a one month supply to the country so we have actually achieved the objective of having sugar back in our system and ensuring that the prices remain within the comfort zone for the government of india but just to add we have an ever increasing frp by the government so the cane prices are rising the cost of production is rising so if we want to have a long term sustainability then we need a proper pricing in the domestic market so that the farmer keeps continue the growth of sugar cane if we don't have sugar cane as many of our friends say sugar is not produced in the mill it's produced in the field so if we don't grow the sugar cane enough if the pricing is not right enough in the long term it can hurt us more than it can give us in the short term so you know in my opinion i think long term we have to have a policy which can be determined well for the sugar so we've talked about sugar where clearly we are benefiting additional supply of a month's material what's the exact outcome on the ethanol side going to be i mean it looks like obviously the amount of ethanol we are going to produce is going to come down to the extent that the ethanol we were going to blend with petrol is going to come down and we had targets for that but is there any other negative outcome at least as far as consumers go the objective of the government to target 15% and 20% by 2025 will take a time because the grain size is also suffering it's not that the grain is very cheap and we can blend it i think if we take out sugar cane and sugar juice as a primary out of it then they need to ensure that they take more ethanol from c heavy molasses and b heavy in order to ensure that they do about 10 11% of the blending so government will have to come in with a revised pricing on c heavy molasses and ensure that c heavy is available in the country which is there and b heavy molasses prices also needs to be increased accordingly so i think to achieve 10% 11% blending they need to do this two thing and as far as the consumer is concerned i think uh, we probably have no direct impact because at the end of the day petrol prices are stable with 20% blending program and we were only doing 10 11 so that will continue to be at the same levels 
Right. Rahil, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Govind. Coke to get into booze. Coca-Cola has jumped into the ready-to-drink alcohol space with a brand called Lemon Dew and is pilot testing it in Goa and parts of Maharashtra, the Economic Times is reporting. The drink is priced at 230 rupees for a 250 ml can in the test launch phase. The most famous brand in this segment is of course Bacardi Breezer which belongs to Bacardi one of the largest privately held and family owned spirits companies in the world. Breezer is actually quite popular in India amongst a few other countries. So Breezer like drinks are called Alcopop as a ready to drink alcoholic beverage pre-mixed with fruit juice or aerated drinks. Lemon Dew, part of Coca-Cola's global portfolio, is a mix of shochu, a distilled Japanese liquor similar to brandy and vodka and lime. It was first launched in Japan in 2018. Interestingly, in October, Coca-Cola had announced that its Sprite, a lemon drink, would join with Pernod Ricard's Absolute Vodka to create a pre-mixed cocktail for an initial launch plan for a select European countries in early 2024. James Quincy, chairman and CEO of the Coca-Cola company, had said at that point that they kept consumers at the center of everything they did and continued to develop their portfolio as a total beverage company. He also said that they were expanding in the alcohol ready-to-drink space including products that use select brands from their core portfolio. And of course, they were excited about their new relationship with Pernod Ricard and looked forward to the introduction of Absolute and Sprite. Absolute by the way was established or set up in 1879 in Sweden. Sprite was established, I'm sure you wouldn't guess this, in 1959 in Germany and has grown to be one of the biggest brands in the Coca-Cola's global portfolio. And travel is growing. Yesterday we pointed out via research done by aviation advisory firm Kappa India that barely 16 million Indians traveled internationally annually. Now this of course demonstrated the size and scope of the opportunity for growth. Rating agency Crystal in a new report out yesterday has said that the Indian tour and travel business is poised for a healthy growth of 12 to 14% in the next year thanks to continuing high airfares and volumes almost at pre-covid levels across segments. A lot of this would be driven by short haul journeys in Southeast Asia, Middle East and of course Europe. Interestingly, Crystal says for now that the revision in the rate of tax collected at source TCS on overseas travel packages may not have a material impact on demand. An analysis of four major travel operators accounting for about 60% of the domestic sector revenue suggests that the books are in good shape, says Crystal. Poonam Upadhyay, Crystal Ratings Director, said that the TCS rate hike may have a limited impact on demand as expenditure per individual per trip is usually much less than the 7 lakh rupee threshold for over 80% of tour packages. That said, Crystal says that tour operators could face some challenges with respect to monitoring the limit per traveler in the transitional period thanks to a lack of adequate tracking mechanism of travel spends. The tracking is actually one of the things that the industry which includes the travel industry as well as let's say the banking space who has to eventually consolidate everything were worried about or were protesting. And more recently India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi also urged Indians to not travel to get married overseas and instead do so in destinations like Uttarakhand. Australia to cut migration Speaking of travel, 
and for that matter international, Australia plans to bring record high levels of migration under control by cracking down on student visas and unskilled migration as it struggles with a growing housing crisis which has pushed rents to their highest levels in more than a decade, according to Bloomberg. New estimates of net overseas migration, which are apparently to be released later this week, show that Australia welcomed more than half a million people in the financial year ended June 30, according to the Department of Treasury. And this is the highest annual arrival number in the country's history and at least 100,000 more than that was expected in April. However, projections that will be released as part of the government's mid-year economic and fiscal outlook on Wednesday will apparently show that net overseas migration is expected to drop to 375,000 in the year ended June 24 and 250,000 the following year. Now, this is something obviously that a lot of people who travel or want to migrate to Australia and are also looking to send their children there would or ought to be following a little more closely. On that note of travels and traveling and of course safe travels, if you've got any holiday travel coming up, that's it from me and have a great week ahead. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopsis or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>